what, let's get to it. Why don't you grab your Bibles and we'll get started here. I've, uh, I've got kind of a, a little word to share. And, um, uh, you know, with these ironworks, I kind of tend to tackle some topics as it relates to some of the guys and stuff, stuff that we need to be thinking about as men. Um, you know, what, what, what are the kind of things we can talk about um, when the ladies aren't here? Uh, although I have to be careful because I've noticed a lot of your wives are watching online. Uh, so hi, ladies. It's good to see you guys. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but so I have to watch my P's and Q's, I guess. But, um, but no, I, I think it's good that we can get together with the guys. Um, and, and this one is one of those ones I want to kind of tackle this issue. You know, um, what is the problem with women? <laughs> and the answer, the answer is men. <laughs> That's the problem. That's the problem. Phew, got out of that one, right? Uh, yeah, well, I, I really do believe that. Um, you know, in fact, the Bible puts the, uh, you know, the, the responsibility of, of leadership and, and um, you know, covering uh, on the men, and in, 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 uh, especially in the church, you know, as the church rolls along, but in your family. Uh, we men are, you know, whether the culture likes us or not, it doesn't matter. The Bible does put the men in leadership. And, and um, uh, even in marriage, you know, now there's so many misnomers and misunderstandings about, you know, the way a man should act, uh, especially when it comes to the fact that we've been tapped to be the leaders in the, in the room, you know, as men. Uh, and so men have taken over, you know, overly weird uh, worldviews on what that's supposed to look like. And so uh, women have been treated badly in the name of the Bible or, you know, with sort of biblical references uh, and men use that as an excuse for treating women badly. And um, if that's the way it's going, then that's a, a tweaking and a twisting of scripture because the Bible tells us as men that women are to be in a place of real honor. And yes, we're to lead, but it's not, you know, the, you know, the classic, you know, ugliness is like when a man uh, tells his wife, submit to me, woman, uh, I've got scripture for that, you know? That's a classic example of an ogre who doesn't know what he's talking about. Um, and, uh, and hopefully, uh, you know, your wife wouldn't take that kind of abuse because that is, that's wacko for a guy. So you're supposed to submit to me, so do what I tell you. That's not it at all. First, before it says wives submit to your husband, Husbands does say that. But the verse right before that says, submit yourselves one to another. And so uh, as men, we need to submit to one another, but also as it turns out, uh, you know, Debbie and I, we submit ourselves one to another because that's the context of that verse. The context is marriage, submit yourselves one to another. Uh, and uh, so I, I do my best just to submit to Deb, she submits to me. And the reason it says wives submit to your own husbands even as unto the Lord is because at some point there has to be um, a leadership call that, that will be made if there's an impasse or if there's something that, you know, there's nobody that knows which way to go, the Lord says, I'm gonna put that on the man to make that final call. Um, and you guys know, if, if you've been in the military or if you've been on a job site or there's certain, you know, roles that it, sometimes just to get something done, there has to be leadership roles and someone who will make the call. And usually that person uh, is a person of responsibility, uh, hopefully. <laughs> and, uh, and they make the, the decision and then that, that person has to live with that decision that they've made. And, uh, and that, that can be a tough role, being a, a, in a leadership role. Um, so when we as men are called to be leaders, we need to take that leadership role with great gravity and great um, care to, uh, to be careful, not to abuse that authority that the Lord's given to us, whether that's in the church or it's in our marriages or our families. Um, and so that's kind of the thing, you know, um, we need to kind of take a look uh, perhaps today at, um, you know, why, why do, um, you know, we, we see a lot of women today, and, and especially, you know, in the Portland area, we, we've got kind of some crazy stuff, you know, with the, the, we're seeing, you know, women screaming at us because of the abortion stuff. We see, you know, um, uh, the whole LGBTQ and transgender, uh, you know, agenda, and it just gets kind of intense. And, and our world has gone so uh, hostile and violent and wacko and angry. Um, but I think a lot of that traces back to, if you just look at it in our history, weak men. Weak men that didn't stand up for what was right. And, um, and sadly, uh, there's been people that have just taken stuff and run, run with it, and that's what we're seeing. Men did, need to take a look at women today and, and see the way they, they are today. What, what are the troubles for women today? What, do, what are the things women face? Have you ever spent much time thinking about that? Most men don't. 
Uh, what, what does a woman go through? What does a woman feel like? Um, a lot of times we as men are so, uh, you know, we're about as sensitive as a brick when it comes to what a w- woman must feel. Have you ever thought about like, like what, what does a woman feel like when she walks, like say in downtown Portland? And uh, uh, let's say at nighttime, of course, nobody in their right mind would do that uh, today because it's uh, Portland getting now down there. But, um, but you know, um, I've walked downtown Portland at nighttime and, you know, I don't walk around going, oh man, I, I'm really worried. You know, I might, you know, because, uh, you, know, uh, you know, I think I'm pretty much ready if somebody wants to, you know, mess, mess around. Uh, plus I got friends, I'll go with friends. Uh, you know, I'm, I've never walked around feeling threatened. I just haven't. Um, there's been times I have been threatened, uh, you know, and, and uh, several times uh, with, with, you know, weapons and stuff like that. And, and it's funny how you just, as a man, you just don't really feel that threat uh, somehow uh, like a woman would feel. And it's just a, it's just a different thing. Uh, and, um, and that's why, you know, trying to get into to the mind of, uh, you, know, uh, uh, you know, have you ever, you guys, like you're driving, have you ever noticed like your wife and, and the way driving happens and the way you respond when she's driving and the way she responds when you're driving? Have you ever noticed that? It's different. Um, I thought it was just me and Deb until I, I think it was uh, Babylon B did a thing. Uh, I was like, what, everybody has? That is when I'm driving, Debbie will just be right along with me and all of a sudden she does that quick inhale thing. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like, I know what I'm doing. I know that I'm gonna break and I'll, I won't crash into the car in front of me. I know what's going on, but she'll do this. I can't do it, it'll make me cough. But you know, that kind of, like, like she, and she does it so loud. I'm just like, ah! like, like, like I was okay driving, but, but her, her, you know, her reaction freaked me out. I'm like, ah! You know, like, uh, and, and it's like this chain reaction. It's like, you know, now, now when, when she's driving, I, I see this ugly thing come out of me. I'm, I'm wanting to tell her what to do. Like, okay, no, don't go that way. This is this way shorter. And, ooh, you know, you gotta be careful in the car. You don't wanna do, you know, I'm like, I'm just trying. And Debbie's like, I drive every day without you and I do fine. And all she has to say is, who's got the most tickets? Uh, you know, uh, you know, and like she, she's got me uh, every time. Uh, so I have to kind of humble myself and take it. Um, but, but here's what I want you to ask yourself, you know, in general, how do you treat women? Uh, think about this in your context. How are, as a man, how do you treat women? Is your, is your worldviews about how you should treat a woman, your wife, your mother, your sister, women in the church, um, women on the street, uh, you, know, uh, you know, going into a grocery store, opening a door? Do you, what do you do today? Um, there's some questions about just the treatment of women. And the question is, what's your worldview about that? And when you think about that, do you have this negative thing? Oh, brother, got to talk about what I don't want to think about. If you're that guy, we got a problem right now. Um, we should be uh, having a kindness and a love and a, and a desire to, to be honoring women. If you have just kind of a natural need, you're going, brother, I don't even want to talk about this this morning. Women, you know, this and that, and we, who can understand them and all that stuff. That's a typical guy that just kind of um, tends to maybe just disrespect women in that way. That's not really the Bible. Um, the, the, the best, you know, the best thing for us is to look at Jesus. Because Jesus... In his day, they treated women way worse than we treat women today, in in my opinion. And it's really the same around the world in many places. If you go to Islamic world, you know, the Arab world, I've been to these countries, man. It's, it's, It's so different and brutal. Um, you know, uh, when you go to Jordan, uh, you know, it's, when we cross the Israeli border into the country of Jordan, um, it's really good for our Athey Creekers because a lot of our Athey Creeker, you know, our Israel trip is this nice trip. We stay in these nice hotels and it's very fancy and, and seeing all these cool sites and being in Israel is just like being in the United States. It's very comfortable, very, you know, uh, first world kind of thing. Cross the border into Jordan, man, you ain't in Kansas anymore. Uh, and uh, you got rocks being thrown at your tour bus and you got people, you know, whoa, 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 and saying stuff like that as you're driving by. And it's very, there's trash everywhere. And there's sewage running on the street and people living in, you know, cardboard boxes. And like, it's, it's just a whole different deal. And, and, and yet, you know, um, women are all covered up, you know, cover, cover, cover. Uh, so, and, and the men are just kind of the dominant, you know, uh, it, like just weird stuff that you notice. Um, you go to the, the truck stops, you know, we, we do uh, this one trip from Petra down to, um, to Elat, which is, uh, or, you know, um, down there in, in the Southern part of Jordan, Southern part of Israel. 
And that trip is, you know, several hours of driving in a bus. And we stop at these truck stops and stuff to, you know, get, get, get something to drink. And, but the men's restrooms are all nice with nice toilets and everything. And the women's restrooms are like hole in the ground with, with just dirt floor. Like, like it's just A and B. You can just compare and see the difference. You know, and, and the Muslim world puts women down in such a bad, bad way. And, um, and, and that's, that's really the way it was in the time of Jesus. Uh, and, um, and so when Jesus comes on the scene, women were treated as barely second-class citizens. Um, in fact, the Jewish rabbis were known, they had a famous prayer that, that you know, kind of went down through history um, that was known. They, they would say, Lord, I thank you that I'm not um, you know, a, a Gentile, a woman or a dog. That's the, what they would pray. Uh, that, like that was their attitude. Um, and, um, and it was just this ugly, you know, dominance of men in the world throughout history. And so that's kind of the question. When you look at Jesus, it's obvious that when, you know, when Jesus would interact with women in the Bible, it was so outside of the culture, outside of, of what, um, you know, the Bible actually um, uh, tells us uh, you know, or the stories of the Bible, you know, you, you even see some of the ill treatment of women in the Bible, but Jesus makes these bold statements by doing what he does. Um, it, it's baffling really to me how over the centuries and even in modern times, theologians, the greatest of the theologians, you know, um, in the past, um, it, it's, it's like they, they've dedicated their lives to studying the life of Christ and his ways, and somehow they miss the way that he interacted with women. Um, and you can't miss that. That's something you and I as men would do well to say, let's, let's see how Jesus does it. Um, and, and, you know, e even here in America, it's amazing. If you think about the history, it wasn't that long ago. It was, it was um, in 1919 that women were finally granted the, uh, the ability to vote in the United States. Um, it was in 1948. That's, that's fairly recent. Some of you guys were alive then. In 1948, married women were granted the legal ability to own property. Can you believe that? That was in 1948. Um, it was not until 1970 that women could apply for a credit card without their husband's signature. <laughs> That's 1970. I was alive at that time. Like, do you realize that it's been a very different thing, even here in America, but, but back when Jesus came on the scene, he, he broke those kind of those uh, anti-women sort of things and treated women in such a different way. Um, in fact, why don't you turn with me to Luke? There's kind of an interesting thing there. We're gonna bounce around a little bit this morning. This, this is an interesting thing to me because this, this is so weird. Uh, if you know the culture of Bible time, the way, does anybody, have you thought about how did Jesus finance his ministry? Have you ever thought about that? I mean, like he had to survive and, um, and there, were, there had to be some money given when Jesus and his disciples were going around. Um, how did that work out? Well, the Bible actually tells us, but nobody ever talks about it. Um, and here it is. It's kind of an interesting thing. It's Luke chapter eight. Um, Luke chapter eight, verse one. It says, and it came to pass afterward that he went through, uh, throughout every city and village preaching and showing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God and the 12 were with him. <clears throat> and certain women, which had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, out of whom was seven, went seven devils. And Joanna, the wife of Husa, Herod's steward, and Susanna, and many others which ministered unto him of their substance. Now, when it says that in the King James, you and I miss a little bit. We're like, oh, so they gave him some coffee and tea, uh, you know, made some lunch or sandwiches. Nope. These are actually, interestingly enough, women of means, some of them, not, not all of them, but, but this, when it says, and many others, the idea, the idea is in the original Greek text, you get a very clear picture. Other women that were there with the 12 disciples and Jesus, and it was out of their substance. Um, some of your newer translations kind of put it better. It's out of their, their wealth. They supported the ministry of Jesus, as it turns out. It, it, it looks and appears like it was a group of women that were helping the disciples and Jesus finance their operation. Um, nobody ever talks about that. Uh, and, and what's even more strange, you know, it was uncommon in ancient times for, for, for females to have independent wealth. Um, but Jesus healed these women uh, in, this, in these verses. Uh, they already stood out in society. 
And they in turn show gratefulness by kind of financially supporting Jesus's ministry. Um, um, you know, it's interesting because these women, you know, had unique factors that set them apart uh, from their peers and they made this impact. And basically, like when I think about this, um, how many of you guys would wanna have a ministry, uh, start a ministry and just say, you know what, we're gonna kind of fund this with, by women. Um, it just feels a little weird to me. Like that would be weird for me. I was at the, had a, a lunch with some of our, uh, our uh, staff yesterday at uh, Little Coops and I'm just a weird guy, but we're just there, there eating. And this, this, this waitress that was there, she was, she's great. She's, she's waited on us before, but she's pregnant out to here. Um, and it just felt weird to me. Like we're just there eating our burgers and she's running around carrying all these, this food and she's pregnant out to here and, and we're just sitting around and like, yeah, can I get some more iced tea? You know, it's like, on oh, the pregnant ladies. Right? I just like, I was feeling weird about that. It's like, man, here, have a chair. Let me get you something to, like I wanted her to have a seat because it just felt kind of weird. And, and a lot of times we as men, we, we kind of don't even like to have the idea of getting help from women. Isn't it funny that Jesus said, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with women, you know, funding, bankrolling my ministry, and Jesus uh, was supported. That's kind of an interesting thing about this. We only are given the names of Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Susanna, but this passage tells us there were many more, as it turns out. Um, and, then, and then when you see that Jesus was funded by women, that's an interesting thing, very unusual, and especially in Bible times. But the way he would treat women, the typical treatment was like there in, you know, John chapter eight, you know, when, um, when Jesus was there, the typical treatment was what happened at first. A bunch of men dragged a woman out in the street and threw her in the ground in front of Jesus. Um, you know, most b believe that she was probably naked. It says that these men found her in the very act of adultery, caught her in the act. And they brought this woman, you know, to, to, um, to basically try to trap Jesus, you know, and, and uh, boy, there's, you know, in, the, in their minds, the, the Jewish men of that day, they would say, you know, this is great. We got this adulterous woman that we caught. Let's see what we can do to trap Jesus. Um, because they, they were pretty sure that, you know, Jesus was in a, a terrible situation. They put him in this impossible situation. And, you know, they basically knew that if, you know, they're like, okay, this woman was caught in the very act of adultery. What should we do, Jesus. Should we stone her to death like the law of Moses says? Or should we let her go and be, let her be free? And they knew that he was trapped. Boy, never a smart thing to try to trap Jesus. Um, Jesus always had a, a really good comeback. Every time these guys tried to trap him, Jesus just like, uh, you know, it was like, it was over in like seconds kind of thing. Um, but, um, but this is what, you know the story. Uh, you know, Jesus, he, he, he said, um, um, you know, he, he kneels down and starts writing in the sand. And the Greek word says katagraphein, which means he was writing against. That's all we know. We don't know what he was writing, but we, we kind of wonder, was he writing against the men? He was writing something, but as he was writing in the sand there, um, he said, he looked up and then he said, hey, you know, those of you that are without sin, go ahead and cast that first stone. Um, it's almost like he gave him life. Yeah, go ahead, stone her to death as he's writing in the sand. And one by one, from oldest to youngest, which is an interesting thing, why, why was it oldest to youngest? I think Jesus was picking them off. Jesus, knowing all things, knew the oldest dude standing in the group. Let's just say his name was Bob. Um, and so, sorry if you're a Bob out here. Um, <laughs> you're like, oh, I didn't do that. No. Um, uh, so, so, so Jesus writes in the sand, those of you that are not sin, cast the first stone, Bob. There's Bob, the oldest one, the senior. In those days, he would have been the most respected, the oldest. And, and, and then Bob, Motel 6, Jerusalem, AD 25. And Bob's like, drops his stone. Uh, guys, you know, I think I hear my wife calling. I gotta go, Pure. He's gone, little puff of smoke. And then the next oldest guy, you know, uh, you know, in some Bible name, uh, uh, who knows, uh, Eli uh, or, or Shlomo or whatever. Uh, those are Bible names back in those days. Uh, uh, but, um, but all that to say, he picked them off one by one and they, from oldest young, dropped their rocks and went home. Then Jesus is there with the woman. And now what is he gonna do? Um, because, you know, it's, it's amazing because not only was he getting her off the hook with those, those religious leaders, but now you think, okay, he's gonna let her have it. Yeah, she's an adulterous woman, right? 
Um, there's a couple questions that we should raise. If they caught her in the very act, where's the man? Where was the man in that story? He was nowhere to be found. Um, you know, and this is something we see in the Islamic world. You know, you always see these women who are caught in adultery in like places like Afghanistan or where they got the woman sitting in front of the crowd of men throwing rocks or getting ready to, you know, behead the woman. Like this stuff happens today all the time. Um, but you never see the man, almost never. It's almost never you see the man. That's because of this way the worldview is with men and women and adultery and all this stuff. There's a double standard. But, but Jesus, instead of condemning her, he, he, you know, he's so gracious to her. And he, he says, where are your accusers? And no man's condemning, nobody's accusing me. And Jesus doesn't say, you better stop it right now. Or you know, does he call her a name? Um, does he say, you need to clean up your act? No, I love the graciousness. He says, go your way, neither do I condemn you. I don't condemn you. Go your way and sin no more. Now, you say, Brett, you, you, you put your own interpretation on the way. I think Jesus said like this, now go your way and sin no more. <laughs> now, the reason I don't think that's what Jesus said is because I know Jesus. Well, how do you know Jesus? Well, I know him personally, and I know the way he treats me. And I also read the Bible and you can read, Jesus doesn't talk to people like that, except for the religious guys. All the religious prudes that were running around legalistically uh, angry about everybody's sin, Jesus yelled at them and he said, oh, you vipers and whitewashed tombs. Like he, he called them names, you hypocrites, he said. But then he goes to the woman who's like legitimately a sinner and he's just kind and he says, I don't condemn you. Go your way and sin no more. Um, and then we got this list of women that I just said, Mary Magdalene was you know, uh, delivered of seven demons. Like Jesus cared about women and loved on them and was kind to them. Um, or the woman at the well, John chapter four. What a great story. Here's a woman who has at the well because she's got a bad reputation. There's a certain time she would be able to go to the well. And Jesus shows up at the well there in Samaria, a place that no good Jew would be found. And he's kind to this woman at the well. And, and, he, and you know, the whole, he, the whole dissertation, hey, would you give me something to drink? And the woman's like, how is it that you being a Jew asked me a woman of Samaria to give me a drink? Why would you do that? That was so un, unusual. She was shocked that, that not only would a man ask a woman for something to drink, but a Jewish man who hated Samaritans, Jews hated Samaritans. And she was a woman of ill reputation because of the hour of the day. We know that from, from the story. It's kind of an amazing part of the story. Might even, might even have been a prostitute, the woman there at the well. And there Jesus has this conversation that's, you know, you can read it there in John chapter four, but it's great. You know, where Jesus just starts talking, hey, you know, if you, you know, how is it that you, you, you uh, don't have anything to draw water with, you know, how can you give me water of life, the woman said. If you drink of the water that I give you, he says to this woman, you'll never thirst again. He was into this woman's life of being satisfied and saved and encouraged. And ultimately the conversation gets to a place where the woman finally realizes he's not just a Jew, he's not just a prophet, he actually is the Messiah. And she runs into town. Now this woman, this is great because the Bible tells us this woman runs back into town there in John chapter four. She runs back into town and, and if she's a prostitute, which we probably think she is, she runs into town and the line that she starts telling everybody um, in town kind of cracks me up. She runs into town and says, I've met the Messiah and he's told me everything I've ever done. And there's the guy in town going, everything? He, he, he told you how, how much? Uh, busted. Like I, and, and so all the town come out to try to see who this guy Jesus is. This woman goes and like starts spreading the gospel of Jesus. And it's because Jesus showed her forgiveness, kindness, mercy, and grace. Um, you know what's amazing about Jesus and, and, and his, even in his, um, his genealogy, could Jesus have custom picked his, uh, his um, ancestry? Could he have hand-selected the women that would be in his genealogy? The answer is yes. The Bible tells us that Jesus was there at creation. Colossians tells that. We read that into the book of Genesis. Um, Jesus was there at creation. He could have, his genealogy could have been shaped however he wanted. But what's amazing about his genealogy is there's women, um, you know, in the lineage of Christ that I think is kind of fascinating. 
Um, uh, one of them was, uh, there, there's actually only a few women that are kind of directly mentioned in the, in the uh, narrative. One is Rahab. Rahab, does anybody remember what, what was her occupation? Prostitute. This is Jesus's great, 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 great grandmother. Uh, Rahab the prostitute. Now, the story's great because she was there in Jericho when the children of Israel crossed through and she risked her own life uh, to save the Israeli spies that were there in Jericho scoping out the land. And she was an amazing woman and she was blessed. Her house was the only house left standing in Jericho because she, uh, she covered the, the uh, men of Israel. Um, that's, that's, a, that's the first prostitute. Another sort of prostitute was a woman named Tamar or Tamar. And she, of course, is this crazy story uh, where she disguised herself pretending to be a prostitute and she, she seduced her deceased husband's father, her father-in-law. She seduced him, tricked him to um, you know, having uh, intimacy and then got some stuff from him to make sure she could prove it was him who slept with her and then she ends up giving birth to her, uh, her father-in-law's son. That lady is also in Jesus's uh, uh, lineage. Um, it's interesting to me that Jesus has these, these women. Um, there's some great women like Ruth. Ruth is in Jesus's genealogy. She was the, you know, um, the Moabite widow um, who pursued that relationship with her Jewish near kinsman. It's a great story. Uh, Boaz, uh, great, great story. She took the lead by offering herself to him in marriage and she bravely went against all the cultural expectations and even the racial expectations. Uh, she crossed those lines and was brave to do that. It's like, she's a, a great woman. But uh, even go to Mary. Mary, of course, is in Jesus' lineage as, as you know, she was the mother. A young girl, not married, became pregnant, unheard of, uh, and, and even punishable by excommunication or even possible total abandonment in those days. A, a young girl getting pregnant <clears throat> without you know, the, the father being identified. Um, but she becomes the mother of the son of God. What an amazing part of Jesus's lineage. I love that uh, wherever there's Jesus uh, around women, it's like, it's like Jesus just sort of signs his kindness and his, his love and his compassion on all women, but, but, but especially like the ones that you'd argue, well, if anybody deserved to be sort of in trouble, it would have been these women, but Jesus says, nope, these are my grandmas and my great grandmas. And these are the women that I'm gonna forgive and be merciful to and kind. Jesus was always seen being kind to women. You don't see him being mean or an ogre or oppressive or angry or intimidating or anything like that. You don't ever see that. Um, but in the word of God, you see stuff like, you know, Galatians tells us in Galatians 3.28, it says, there's neither Jew nor Greek, neither bond nor free, neither male nor female. And then it says, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. You know, the Bible dictates that, that men and women in the church, especially people of faith, we should have this oneness. Uh, there shouldn't be this great divide between men and women. Um, and I think that's something that we've seen happen for various reasons. Why is there such a great divide today? Uh, and I, I think that divide is widening. Have you noticed like some of the things that maybe if you're my age uh, in your mid fifties, uh, I can only speak to that. Uh, maybe some of you older guys could even tell us more uh, about this, but have you noticed how things that we kind of thought were getting better uh, just, you know, uh, if, if you go to Gene Roddenberry's sort of perfect, you know, uh, Shangri-La or whatever, you know, that remember in like Star Trek, everybody, the, the world finally got it together and we all get along and there's, there's no more wars and we're, we're all at peace and stuff like that. Um, John Lennon's Imagine, all that stuff. That, that's where we were trying to get to. We were trying to get there and, and, and we, we, we started seeing some great gains. Did you notice that? Like when I was a kid, we were seeing some interesting gains, uh, you know, Racism in America, we were seeing some really good improvement when I was a little kid. Um, you know, and, and the civil rights and some of that stuff, we saw some great, great stuff. And it was moving in the right direction. And, 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 and it seemed like, you know, that, and even with women and women's lib and stuff like that, you know, that, that, some of that was kind of going a little bit in a bad direction. But even in the last, oh, I'm gonna say 25 years, we even saw the women's limb thing start to kind of pull up a little bit. I remember when Pottery Barn, uh, I was reading this article once and it was kind of a funny thing where um, Pottery Barn was interviewed by some, some 
you know, women's magazine. I, I forget how I got this article, but basically the article was interesting in that Pottery Barn said, you know, we used to market to sort of the, the um, you know, the middle-aged woman who has money and a career where she can get the fancy furniture and deck her house out and stuff like that. Like they had a very specific marketing plan. But somewhere, you know, 20 years ago, Pottery Barn said, but we're finding that the younger women are kind of sick of that whole thing, the whole, you know, uh, you know, impressive woman that's got the massive career and all that. And, and we're finding that the women that shop at Pottery Barn are these women, they're younger women who really wanna make their homes comfortable for their families and their kids and be homey and cozy. And they started like changing their whole marketing strategy uh, because they saw kind of a, a change in the culture. And I was like, wow, you don't hear about changes like that that are actually a step in the right direction. But I could see how things were going in the right direction. But it seems like, have you noticed in the last five years, I'm gonna say, maybe, maybe 10 years, but have you noticed how we've gone backwards with racism? Really bad really bad backwards. I think we're going backwards on so many other issues. We could talk about the LGBTQ and the transgender movement and, and some of the stuff that's going on. We're going backwards right now. But in the area of women, I think we're, we're going backwards in the sense that men are behaving badly when it comes to women. And there's some reasons I think that are sort of trackable and maybe even traceable um, that we can see why men are acting weird around women more than ever, perhaps here in America. Let me give you a list of things that have to do with what the Bible teaches, of course, but it also has to do with some of the things I'm observing. Um, so, so I'm gonna say some of this is, is opinion from me. I'm just gonna tell you, I'll always tell you when I'm giving you my opinions. Uh, so some of this is opinion, but I think I can back it up a, a little bit with scripture too, because uh, we see stuff like this in the scripture. Um, one of the reasons I think men don't know how to act around women or at least treat women badly or are not doing the right thing toward women, uh, the first one, and you can jot this down in your notes, is simply this, cowardice. Men are a fearful bunch these days. We're afraid to say anything or do anything. We're, we're afraid to step up in the area of leadership lest we make the wrong decision. And I just see that there's a lot of men that seem to be cowards. I mean, you look at the president of the United States who, you know, sorry, I'm not trying to, but like, like he used to say, um, abortion is wrong. And, and that was a conviction he had. Well, I don't know when he said it. You guys, have you seen the clip? They're playing it now because it's, you know, but he, he used to be, you know, technically pro-life and all this. Um, but somewhere along the way, he just kind of caved. And, and it seems like a lot of his worldviews are just, people are just telling him what to do. Um, and I see that not just in our president, but I see that in our churches, in our pastors. I see sort of this cowardice, uh, just, just bowing down to the culture and afraid to sort of step up and stand for things that they actually believe in. You know, there's a difference between a statesman and a politician. We have far too many politicians. We need more statesmen, people that'll actually really stick to their, their convictions. But it's hard to find that anymore. Um, but I see that there's just a bunch of cowards, especially when it comes to men who are supposed to be leading, stepping up. It reminds me of Judges. Remember the story of, of Deborah? Um, and Deborah there, uh, one of the saddest verses in, in the whole story there is this verse. Um, Barak said unto Deborah, if thou will go with me, then I will go. But if thou will not go with me, I will not go. Fred, was that what he talked like? Yeah, the little sledge rock guy on Flintstones. Rosie, Rosie, woo, woo. What was this guy? This guy was supposed to be leading Israel. He was supposed to be the guy, let's go, come on, let's roll. Uh, but Barack tells, uh, I'll go to this battle. See, they're talking about going to war. And they were supposed to go to war. And Deborah says in an earlier verse, Barack, God is with you. He's gonna get you a victory. You're gonna do great and it's gonna work out. So just go. And Barack says, you know, I'll go if you will go with me. He's hiding behind the skirts of Deborah. And I see that same kind of behavior in men today. When you read the whole story of Deborah, it's pathetic. And Deborah says after this verse to this guy, well, okay, I'll go with you. Wimp, she doesn't say that, but, um, but that's what I think. I'll go with you, but she says, listen, you're, you know, a man's not gonna get the glory on this battle because of your wimpiness, but a woman's gonna get the glory. Um, 
And it's interesting, I think there's women getting glory today because men are not stepping up. Women are, are you know, we're esteeming women probably for the wrong reasons in some way. What, what was the woman? Well, the story is great. If you read there in Judges chapter four, um, the, the lead enemy of Israel, a guy named Sisera, he was, right, he was in battle and he ends up you know, getting wounded and he falls off his chariot. And he, so he's running for his life, uh, trying to survive. And he runs through Israel you know, and he runs by this, woman, this woman's tent, a woman named Jael. And, and Jael says, uh, hey, sister, come in here, I'll, I'll hide you. And so sister's like, okay. <laughs> and he runs in and, and, and she hides him under the covers in there. And he says, hey, can I have a drink of water? And Jael says, uh, hold on. She comes back with some warm milk. That cracks me up. He's really thirsty for some nice ice cold water. She gets some warm goat milk. And he's like, <laughs> and he drinks the milk. And then he, and she's like, I'll hide you. And he says, he comes up with a plan. And it's, it's so goofy. Like, like this shows you how stupid the men are in the group. He says, like, if you read the story, it says like this. Um, sister says, now you guard for me. You stand at the door. And if a man comes and asks you, is sister in here? You tell him no. That's almost word for word what it says. Like, it's so ridiculous. And so Sister says, I'm just gonna go sleep over because he's been in battle, you know, he's tired. So he goes and hides under the covers and he goes to sleep. And jail, she gets into the garage, gets a tent stake and a sledgehammer. And she walks up to jail as he's sawing logs there and sleeping. And she takes the tent, his head's up against the ground like this. She takes the tent stake, puts it right in his temple and goes, ching, ching, ching. And nails, the Bible says she took the tent stake and nailed his head into the ground. I think he got the point. <laughs> Sorry, you have to say that in that story. Um, but what was the last thing that went through his mind? <laughs> we know that. I'm uh, Sorry. But I, I feel like sometimes it's the, you know, it's, it's the women and, you know, let me ask you, you husbands, is your wife fighting the battle alone right now? I'll go if you go, honey. Um, is your wife the one that's saying, family, we're gonna go to church, come on, let's go to church. And you're there clicking the remote and saying, right, we can watch online. Hey, watching online is great. And, and we approve of that and watch parties is great, all that. But there, some of you guys, you know what you're doing. Some of you guys are looking for ways to get out um, and not go to church because you just don't want to do it. And the wife is saying, come on, honey, we, you know, we need to go to church. And if your wife is doing that, you're the man in the story. You're the guy that's not uh, walking in courage and leadership and we need men to step up. The, the cowardice is a real problem right now. There's a lot of men that are like, well, if women will do it, um, it doesn't put me at risk. We'll let the women take the risk. And so our wives step out on the limb and, and put themselves at risk. Or, or women in our community or even in our church, it's, it shouldn't be that way. The men should step up as brave, courageous men of God. That's what we need. We, the, the world so desperately needs men of God to stand up and be strong. Courage is one of the biggest problems. So number one, cowardice. Uh, number two, here's another problem why women and men aren't interacting very well today is that is of indifference. Um, it may not be that you're a coward. Um, it might just be that you're kind of like, yeah, whatever. Uh, as long as I'm okay, I got mine. I, I know what I'm doing. And um, you know, if, you're, if mom is disciplining the kids, then why should you step in? She's got that. Um, you know, how many kids are today growing up without a dad? And, and I say that, um, but it's not just those who have a dad, but these dads that are not really doing their job. They might be technically in the house geographically, but they're, not, they're making their wives do all the heavy lifting. And there's kind of this indifference. The wife is the one doing family devotions. The wife is the one teaching and disciplining and training the children and leading in the home. And, and, and you, know, you might be a great leader even outside of the home. But if you're not leading in your own home, it's, you're gonna fail in your leading outside of the home. You gotta start with the home. Too many guys get this backwards. They wanna to try to be a great leader or do great things in their career or their work or whatever. And they don't realize you drop the ball at home, it's not gonna work out elsewhere. Uh, you might be able to pull that off for a season, by the way, but eventually it catches up to you. And man, there's guys that have just had their priorities all wrong and, and, and different. You know, we've got brothers in our church that have told me stuff that's heartbreaking. 
Um, and I got stories, story after story. We got, we got dads in our church that did the whole thing where they were just kind of indifferent about a lot of things, like their spiritual well-being of their kids. Oh, but they were, they were so into their kids, as long as it did kind of fit their thing. Like sports, I love sports, I, I love sports. We have a ton of athletes in our church. Um, and I'm thankful for that. But there's this thing where the, the men, you know, we, we're indifferent toward our kids and their spiritual walk when we're like making sure that they're getting ready for that, the next game. Um, we got one brother that literally was in tears talking to me and his son, he poured into his son as an athlete and, um, and uh, his son en- ended up making it into the NFL, actually to the Super Bowl. And he said, man, if I could trade those years of me going to every game and every practice and poured into his athleticism, um, the Super Bowl ring kind of wears off and it's no big deal after a while. And, and, and sadly, his son's not even walking with the Lord now. And he's heartbroken. He would have much rather, in retrospect, say, forget the Super Bowl in the NFL. Like, that's the best. Like, when you get that, when you reach the Super Bowl and they get a ring, that's kind of that's what these, you know, uh, little league dads are shooting for which none of them actually make it that far. But my point is that when you do, you gotta be careful because there's not much life after the Super Bowl for some of these guys. And more importantly, is, is his son gonna go to heaven or is he gonna go to hell? Um, and there's too many dads that are indifferent toward their spiritual well-being of their family and they're not stepping up when they should be. And man, I just think there's a lot of guys with some regrets on that one. Don't be that guy. Uh, we need to step up and, and be uh, interested. Um, you know who did that? There, you, if you're feeling kind of guilty and bummed, guess what? You're in actually good company. Um, in Exodus, why don't you grab your Bible and flip over to Exodus chapter four. I'll show you kind of a crazy story. Uh, and this is one of the greatest leaders in the history of the world. Um, Moses, wouldn't you agree? Moses was perhaps one of the greatest leaders. And he led two and a half million people on a camping trip for 40 years through the wilderness. That's a pretty tough job if you ask, for me, ask me. But in Exodus chapter four, um, we'll, you know, the, the story is just going along nicely. You know, have you ever noticed the Bible does this once in a while? You'll be reading along, there's a nice little story and then something crazy happens. And then it goes back to the nice little story. This is one of those stories. So the happy little story is going along here uh, in chapter four, you know, where the Lord is calling Moses to lead the children of Israel and Aaron's appointed and, and God's called Moses to this great ministry. Everything seems to be just falling into place. But we pick it up in chapter four, verse 21. And there it says, and the Lord said to Moses, when thou goest, return into Egypt, uh, see that thou do all those wonders before Pharaoh which I have put in thy hand, but I will harden his heart and he shall not let the people go. Okay, so we're good. The Lord's telling Moses what's gonna happen. Um, And thou, verse two, shalt say unto Pharaoh, thus saith the Lord, Israel is my son, even my firstborn. And I say unto thee, let my son go, that he may serve me. If If thou refuse to let him go, behold, I will slay thy son, even thy firstborn. Okay, so you're tracking the story of Moses. Are you guys, it's all good. We know what's going on. And now all of a sudden, verse 24, it came to pass by the way in the end that the Lord met Moses and sought to kill him. Then Zipporah, that's Moses' wife, took a sharp stone, cut off the foreskin of her son and cast it at his feet. Um, That's a nice way the King James translated that and some of your newer translations did the same thing. She didn't cast it at his feet. The Bible doesn't say that. If you read the Hebrew Bible, she cast the foreskin of her son at Moses' boys, it's not the feet. That's like them just trying to say, we don't wanna say it. Yeah, she threw the foreskin right at Moses' crotch. Are you guys with me on this? I'm just telling you what the Bible really says. Look it up. Um, And so uh, then after she throws the foreskin at her her husband there, um, she says, surely a bloody husband art thou to me. So he, the Lord, let Moses go. And she said, a bloody husband art thou because of the circumcision. Now, verse 27. And the Lord said to Aaron, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. Back to the little story. You're like, what? There's this happy little story of Moses being called into the ministry and he's getting ready to lead. And all of a sudden, this, the, the, her, his wife, um, you're like, yeah, my wife has those moods sometimes too, Brett. Um, <laughs> it's, it's not very fun when I come home and she's like that. Um, well, if your wife is acting like that, could it be that you're doing something wrong? That's what the problem is here. 
See, Moses is going along, he's just doing his stuff and he's called to this great ministry and, and everything. But what was going on there? Well, Moses' son, remember Moses was a Jew and he was supposed to be a good Jew like Abraham, one of the descendants of Abraham. And the sons of Abraham were supposed to be circumcised, the cutting away of the foreskin of the flesh of the male child. And Moses had failed to do that with his son. For whatever reason, we can talk, we can talk about why did Moses not circumcise his son? It's the same, it's the same problems you know, spiritually <clears throat> of a father who's more into sports than he is in his son or daughter's spiritual well-being. Same thing. And you neglect the thing that's actually most important. And Moses neglected. Maybe he neglected it because he didn't like the idea of circumcision. I mean, that's not a fun thing. Um, maybe he neglected it because Zipporah was not a Jew. She was a Midianite. And she's like, I don't want this Jewish practice to have my son's foreskin cut. Um, that's painful and I don't want to do that. Like maybe she was the problem, but, but Moses wasn't courageous enough to say, honey, we're Jews, we're going to do this and my son's going to be circumcised. Maybe he was caving to his wife when he should have been leading his wife. But his wife somehow got sort of the message, uh-oh, the Lord's going to kill Moses. Why was the Lord going to kill Moses? See, this is so crazy. Like how does that even happen? Well, Moses was, was going to die because he was dropping the ball. Um, what an amazing story. And, and so Zipporah circumcises her son, throws the circ, you know, circumcised foreskin at Moses. Uh, and, and then the Lord says, okay, I'm not gonna kill you. I wonder if some of you guys are at that place right now in your walk, in your life, feeling like, man, why do I feel like the Lord's not with me or the Lord's not blessing me or my phone's going off in the service or like, <laughs> why? No, just, just kidding, just kidding. Sorry, sorry. Um, uh, <laughs> But, but maybe you're just not being obedient to God and leading your family the way you're supposed to do. That's, that was Moses' fault. Moses blew it and he was about to die for it and Zipporah saves his life, even though it's, it sounds like they need a little marriage counseling if you ask me. But at the same time, it was Moses' fault. And that's just simple indifference. Like Moses' sin was like, eh, I'm not gonna circumcise my son. And it was gonna cost him his life, as it turns out, according to the Bible. But it's an amazing story. And we could go on and talk about Abraham with Hagar. We've talked about that in recent teachings. He wasn't leading. When, when, when Sarah said, okay, we're gonna make this happen, sleep with my handmaid, Hagar. And Abraham's like, cool, whatever, indifferent. I'll sleep with her if you want me to, honey. And he didn't do the math of what God actually had for him. Indifference will, will mess you up, brothers. And I see that today. Men, we tend to be more and more indifferent. So you got, uh, you know, cowardice, indifference. Here's another one that I see that's caused all kinds of trouble between men and women, just general rudeness. Somehow men, we, we, you know, we've become, I've seen it, we've become sort of coarse in our jesting. Um, you say, chivalry is dead, women killed it. You know, I, I, have you ever opened the door for, at the grocery store for a woman and have her get mad at you? Uh, I, I like to open doors still for, for women. I'll, I'll still do it. And it, somehow I almost find joy when they get mad at me. I don't know why that is. I just like, no, I'm happy to do it. Uh, you know, what am I, you can't open the door for myself? No, I just really like to open doors for, for, for people. And, um, and, and it's just funny because, you know, we've, we live in a day where there's just anger. But this idea, you know, my question simply is fathers, have you been teaching your sons to be gentle and, and honorable the way they treat women? Um, are you a model of that? Oh man, this is, you dads, you'll, you know what I'm talking about. One of the most painful things is when you start seeing your bad behavior pop out in your son towards your wife. Your son starts treating your wife the way you treat her. Um, and you go, ooh, I don't know if I like that look. It looks pretty good on me, but on my son, ooh. Uh, it's a perspective thing. It's all ugly, but somehow we didn't think it was that ugly on me, the way I treat my wife. And then you see your son, like dads, are you not noticing this stuff? We need to te you know, teach our sons how to, how to treat women with respect and with real honor. Um, the way you talk to, the, to a woman, <clears throat> the way you treat <clears throat> a woman, that's something that the Bible has much to say about. First Peter chapter three, verse seven says, likewise, you husbands dwell with your wives according to knowledge, giving honor to the wife. Um, that's, that's what you're supposed to do, men, give honor. You're, the wife should be honored do you honor the wife or do you disrespect her? Do you bark at her? And, you know, um, 
you know, it's, it's interesting, you know, Jesus is the good shepherd and, um, and he's not the good sheepdog. And sometimes I think you and, you and I as men, we treat our wives like we're the sheepdog barking out orders. Um, but instead we should be honoring our wife. And it says, honor, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel and being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers be not hindered. Your prayers will be stopped, brothers, if you're not treating your wife with honor. Your, your prayers will fail to fly if you are treating your wife with disrespect. Don't be shocked when your prayers aren't being answered if you're treating your wife badly. Um, giving honor to the wife as unto the weaker vessel. We've talked about this before. And the, the word weaker doesn't mean she's inferior. It just means she's built differently. Um, and this is where the world you know, tries to say, there's no, we don't even know what a woman is today, is, if there is such a thing. Um, we're, we're such a weird culture. But the Bible says there's male and female and he created them and the woman is the weaker vessel. But it's not weaker inferior. That's important that you know that. And, and the best example is the one we, we probably beat to death. And that's the root beer mug versus the fine wine glass. Which is the weaker vessel? Of course, the wine glass. Man, you gotta be careful. Uh, you know, cause you don't just slam it up at the bar and go, hey, yo, ho, yo, and cheers, you know, and the wine glass will break cause it's a weaker vessel. Now the root beer mug, man, you can slab it around, slide it down the you know, countertop and you know, do the cheers thing because they're thick and tough. And, and, and the Lord said, that's what I did. I made two different kinds of vessels. Men, you're the root beer mug. And women are the fine wine glass. You don't put the root beer mug on display. You put it in some cupboard somewhere, but you put the wine glass in the fancy cabinet. Why? Because it's a vessel of honor. And that's the point. Women are the vessel of honor. That's what the Bible's saying. And, and listen, he says, if you husbands don't treat your wife with honorable behavior, don't be shocked when your prayers don't get answered. Um, man, I could go off on Nabal. First Samuel chapter 25, his name means fool. Who gives their son the name of fool? Well, a guy named Nabal. And Nabal was his name and folly was his game, the Bible says. In fact, the Bible uses the word in 1 Samuel um, you know, 25, says he was a churlish man. What's a churlish man? The word churlish in the old King James means um, coarse, uncouth and vulgar, ill-natured and uncivil. And he had this beautiful wife, Abigail, and he treated her with horrible disrespect. You remember the story, like it's a great story where David and his men had been protecting Nabal's area. Uh, David had a, a group of 600 you know, tough, mighty soldiers. And he was protecting that whole region. And, and then Nabal was a rich man with all kinds of sheep. And David just sent a message to Nabal through some of his guys. Hey, I, my, my soldiers have been protecting your land and this area. We need just a few sheep of your flock to survive. Um, and we need that from you. And Nabal says, David who? I don't know David. Saul I know, but I don't know who David is, so get out. Well, David, he's so ticked. This guy, you know, that was the custom, by the way. When the army was helping you, you were supposed to help out the army. And you're supposed to give like a, a lamb or two out of it. And Nabal was this living large, rich dude, and he had plenty of flocks and herds, but he says, I'm not giving David and his army any. So David says to his buddies, strap on your swords, we're gonna go kill anything that pisseth against the wall. Right, can you say that? I just did and I enjoyed it. <laughs> David was ticked. Uh, and, and you know, his language there is basically that any guy, anybody that's a man, because that's the one who pisses against the wall, any man, I'm gonna slay him. And David had the wherewithal, you gotta understand that. And so David starts marching towards Nabal's house and Abigail hears what's going on. The wife, who's the wise, beautiful, kind wife who's married to this total loser. And she comes out and says, oh, upon me, it's my fault, Abigail says. And she falls down, she brings all this food and she makes it. And, and David's like, wow, this, this. he's like, <laughs> when he sees Abigail, he's like. And, um, and, and, but he's like, oh man, she's married this fool. But Abigail makes David not go kill her husband. And I remember, you know, you read that story like, oh man, Nabal deserves to die. He's a horrible dude. But Abigail, they come and tell Nabal what had happened, that man, David was going to come and slaughter you. Um, and, but I did this and it came to, and he had a, it says his heart turned into stone and he died. Kicked the butt bucket. Now before Nabal believes it in cold, uh, David says, will you marry me? And he marries Abigail. Like, like he's still twitching on the floor. Uh, and, and, and he ends up marrying this beautiful girl. It's, like, it's kind 
kind of a great story, really. Um, <laughs> but can I just say, don't be a navel. Don't be a fool. Rudeness is something we need to root out of the male behavior, especially in the church, especially from us. Man, we need to be gentle. Think about how you're talking to your wife and women, the women that you work with. Um, there's kind of a thing where we've lowered our standard because the world has lowered their standard. Women are in the workplace, so you can just treat them like men. And if you wanna work with the men, then you gotta be treated like a man. Well, we as Christian men should not be falling in that. Um, man, I could go on and on. I've only got a few more. Misogyny. Oh, Brett, you're not jumping on the woke culture, are you? Uh, see, that's the problem. The word misogyny, we used to call it chauvinism maybe. Um, uh, it, it, it's overused and, and, um, and ill-applied. I'll, I'll, I'll admit that in the woke crowd, of course. It's totally wacko. Um, but the definition of misogyny is to the dislike of or contempt uh, for um, prejudice against women. And, um, and that's something that I do see uh, still in the church. And, and I'm just being honest. Like this is a painful one because um, the, the, the world that I so you know, despise in their sinful ways and the sinful things that our world does, they use this word all the time. And, and so it's hard for me to even kind of say this, but I think if you look at the definition, there's just enough truth to give the world traction to talk about all the other stuff. We, we as men need to treat women with great respect. Genesis 1:27 tells us about how God created us. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created him, male and female, he created them. The things that you don't like about women are the things you go, women. Guess what? That's part of the image of God. You're only half there. Um, when, you know, when you get married, by the way, you're being a completed person. That's why the two shall become one flesh. Um, if you're just a dude and you don't have any connection to a woman, you're kind of half there. Uh, the other half is the part that, that's the woman. And, and it's the best, the best attributes of women and the best attributes of men when you see the, the, the you know, and, and man, I'm gonna get into trouble for this, but um, men are, tend, to be, tend to be a little more logical, a little more steady emotionally. Um, uh, you know, man, the men are the ones you want in the trenches, in battle. Uh, like the, there's some things that men are good at. Um, but as it turns out, if you want things like sensitivity and kindness and, and thoughtfulness and, and um, like, like women bring like a whole nother set of great attributes to the table and you put a good man and a good woman together in marriage and I'll tell you what, you start seeing the image of God. And here a lot of men sit around and, and sort of act like those attributes of women. Oh, she's just so sensitive. Why is she so emotional? And yet, what, what is she doing? She's showing you know, the things that Jesus showed us. Jesus wept over Jerusalem. When was the last time you just looked over Portland and just started weeping? Probably not a lot of you. I know I haven't. I, I start weeping when I, when I see um, you know, uh, Ruth Chris being shut down in, in downtown <laughs> Portland, I guess. I, that, was, no, uh, that kind of stuff, but no. Um, by the way, marriage should be completing one another, not competing with one another, because those are godly attributes that women have. Uh, here's another ugly one, and I'm almost done. Intimidation. Men, we don't even realize, I think sometimes when we're doing it, or maybe you've been doing it for so long, it's become part of who you are. We gotta flush that out because it's just not the way of the Lord. I see men talk to, I, I, I've done a lot of marriage counseling in my ministry over these many years. And I'm amazed at the way men talk to their wives, even in the context of counseling. Like when I'm sitting in the room, I'm like, man, I wonder what it sounds like when I'm not in the room. When these men sort of raise their voice and get sort of this bigger, and this poor small gal is being talked down to and mansplained about this and that. And it's kind of this, this ugly dominance that, that the, I'm not even sure the guy realizes he's doing it. There's been a few times, I've got to just confess, where I'd, I've had men sort of do that and uh, I, I had to kind of show them what it felt like. Like there's a lot of men that will just, there was this one guy, um, uh, this, this was funny because by the end of this counseling session, uh, this is years ago, but the whole staff was outside the door of the counseling uh, listening because they thought something really bad was gonna happen because it was about to, I think. This guy um, was really rude to his wife during the whole counseling, but there was a moment where he got up and it looked like he was gonna hit her. 
But he was like standing over her like this and yelling at her and something within me, and I think it was the Holy Spirit. Um, <laughs> it just made me say, this guy needs to know what that feels like. Um, and so uh, when I get a little fired up, it, 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 it's, you know, I may not be able to chase you and catch you or anything like that. But if I got your wrist or your hand, you're toast. Like if I got a hold of you, uh, like, because I, I, you know, I used to bench 525. I, I've got some, some strength. I've done some lifting and, and but I, I just can't run. That's all. There's just no running. So this guy, uh, he was just horrible. And, and I got in his face and I, and I, and that's where the staff heard, wow, Pastor Brent's in the, and there was these glass doors. They saw what was going on. Um, you know, that, that's a sad story. That, that story went, went uh, I, I, I've got to where I could kind of get him to sit down. I just said, you sit down right now. And I was like in his face and, and um, kind of made sure that he sat down, kind of assisted him in the sitting of down, uh, if, if you know what I mean. Bible says laying hands on our, our brothers. And, um, but you know the sad part of that story? The sad part of that story is we tried to counsel that couple and you know what, what ended up happening is he was abusive to her. She, um, and we were trying to get her out of the house, but she, you know, she wouldn't leave. Um, it was a bad thing. And he was just this, he was a little dude that was just this intimidating kind of guy and he was just brutal. Well, one night he took it too far and she had a pan of grease that was on the burner and she threw it in his face. That's how that story ended. Um, and it was an ugly, horrible situation. Um, God forbid that men, I, even if there's a tiny hint of that, we gotta get rid of that. And, and man, I love my dad. You know, my dad, I, I, he was no, uh, he was an intimidating guy. Uh, when he'd get on a job site, man, everybody's like, yes, sir. You know, like he was just the guy that you just didn't mess with. But then he'd come home to my mom and just treat my mom like a princess. And he even changed his voice. He'd rise his voice up into a whole nother key instead of just, rah, rah, rah. I was like, hey, honey, you know, what can I do for you? When I, now that I'm home, well, how can I help you? This, and, you know, like he was, he was a whole different guy. And, um, you know, my mom's this little petite, beautiful, you know, sweet. And, and my dad would just change his demeanor. Um, and that's what I got to grow up seeing. I wish I was better at that. Uh, I wish I got more of that. Galatians 5, you know, 22 and 23, fruit of the spirit. I love it. You know, it reminds us that, you know, there's love, joy, peace, long suffering. But mark this one here, gentleness. I think men need a good dose of that, especially the way we treat women. Goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Matthew eleven twenty nine. 29, when Jesus talked about this, he said, take my yoke upon you, learn, learn of me. Be like me, Jesus says. And he says, um, for I am gentle, there, it says in the ESV translation, gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest to your souls for my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Oh man, I'm way out of time. The next one real quick, and I shouldn't do this one fast. Men treat women badly because of fornication. Pornography. If you're a guy looking at pornography, let me tell you what's gonna happen to you. You're gonna start not knowing how to act around women. You're gonna look at women differently. And when you get around women, especially pretty women, you will treat them weirdly. And you won't even know what to do. And you're looking at her as a sex object rather than a person that God loves and cares about. Um, I think this is one of the biggest problems with pornography is how it makes men treat women. And the world can say, oh, it's just harmless visual stimulation. Wacko, totally wrong. Um, you know, the Bible tells us how we are to view women and, and it's not as sex objects. First Timothy chapter five says, you know, in how we're supposed to treat each other, rebuke not an elder, but entreat him as a father and the younger men as brethren and the elder women as mothers, the, youngers, the younger women, how are we to treat them? Treat the younger women as sisters with all purity. Man, that's how we're told to treat women. If you struggle with pornography, it's gonna ruin the way you look at, think about, handle, talk about, act around women. It'll just mess the whole thing up. And that's one of the reasons because pornography has so permeated our culture and our society, I think that might just be of all my list, one of the number one problems with men and women today is pornography. Could just be the biggest one. And I've probably spent the less time on it now. If you're wondering about pornography, we've done two ironwork sessions on pornography, and I think those are important. If you struggle with pornography, look up online on our website. 
Um, or go to our YouTube channel, look up the Ironworks teachings, but there's been two specifically on pornography that I would recommend. Um, man, uh, one final one, this is, and we'll be done really fast, laziness. Um, you know, 1 Timothy 5, 8 says, if a man provide not for his own home, especially for those of his own house, he has denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. Your priorities, um, uh, it's not just providing financially, it's providing spiritually, praying with your family, going to church, praying with your wife, uh, talking about Jesus with your kids and doing family devos. That's the provision that you and I are called. And this is one of the reason men and women are not doing well is because men tend to be lazy in things of the Lord and their responsibilities. And uh, that's enough on that. Well, all that said, um, man, we got some work to do, guys. It, it, I know that's kind of a negative list that I just gave you, but sometimes I think it's better to just tell it like it is and say, here's the problem. And I think those are some big problems. And, and it might be good for you as brothers to pray about, Lord, how am I doing in these, um, these things? You know, we just listed seven problems that make men and women relationships really bad. Any one of those seven can really cut things bad in your life and it's bad, bad news. Lord, how I pray that you would just help us, Lord. When the spirit is willing here at an ironworks on a Saturday morning, we know that our flesh is weak, Lord. So give us strength. I pray for my brothers here and watching online and all over. Lord, just bless them, I pray. Help us to be strong men who love you and walk with you. Help us to treat women with honor and respect. Forgive us, Lord, when we failed. Convict our hearts, Lord, when we're doing the wrong thing. May we know how to raise our sons to, to behave well in these days, Lord. So we pray your covering on the brothers. Lord, we wanna do well in this. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.